Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 says these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. One of the things a lot of us like to do is eat. And we especially like to eat with good company. Seems like we find all kinds of excuses to eat together. Holidays like Thanksgiving and Fourth of July. Christmas and Easter, the, the religious holidays where you're supposed to get together with family. Birthdays and anniversaries. Some families, like my wife's, are really into celebrating birthdays. And it seems with all the family members, every month there's one or two birthday parties. But it doesn't stop there. Baptisms, funeral dinners, whenever we have company in town. Not that we have a lot of meals with strangers, but with those close to us. We love to get together and share a meal. For ancient people, it was even more important. It can't be overstressed how important eating together was in building community. In those days, there weren't refrigerate. There wasn't any kind of refrigeration. It was hard to keep an animal. So if you were going to slay the fatted calf, if you were going to make meat, you had to use it. You couldn't keep it. And so all kinds of celebrations would happen so that you would utilize the animals or the crops that you had. There were different kinds of banquets. Some were banquets of honor and power, like we see in the book of Esther or Daniel, or at the coronation of David or King Solomon. There are banquets of victory, like when an when a army would be victorious. If you remember the line of the 23rd Psalm, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. This is a victory banquet. The psalmist is saying, God, you're going to get me through this battle and I'm going to have a victory banquet. Some for the, the ancients would have been rite of passage banquets. We see in the Bible banquets related to circumcision, to weaning, to a, a bar mitzvah, a coming of age. And of course, wedding ceremonies were very important for the economy because they got the whole town, the whole community together. Banquets in those days were so important because they helped set the social strata. They, they set where people stood in the community. Only the most important people would have been invited to the banquet. This denoted power and insider status. Trust if you would invite them. And then at the banquet there would be seating arrangements. The closer you were to the host in, in respect to the banquet, the closer you were to the host in reality. If you've ever been around a bride planning invitations to a wedding or a seating arrangement at a reception, it's a very similar process. Got to figure out the right people and these two people, they fight with each other so they've got to sit at different tables. But in this society, it was even more important because it set the whole stage for the community. It solidified the social stratification of the times. And if you wanted to impress somebody, you would invite somebody important to be there and try to sit them closer so it made it look like they were closer to you, like bragging about a great friend that you have. And if you got invited, you wanted to try to sit closer so it looked like that was, that was where you belonged. Bankers were judged by their food. 
you'd have the best food and the best wine and you were the best host. And in fact, what you would do is you would break out the best wine and the best food early because as a banquet goes on in those days, it might be several days of wedding feast. And so as people drank and as people got full, they didn't tend to care what the wine was like and what the food was like later. So you would plan it out so that you would look good right there from the beginning. This became so important to those people that table sharing became the premium place where you said that you accepted someone. To eat with someone was to accept who they are and what they're about. And so if, a person, if there was a person you didn't agree with, you would not sit down at a table to eat with them. And if you didn't want to be associated with someone, you would refuse their invitation. In fact, table refusal was, was an outright uh, affront to that person. If they invited you to sit down at a table or go to a banquet and you did not go in, you were rejecting that person, not just the invitation. Think of Jonah sitting outside of Nineveh, refusing to see God's blessing of this place. This became such a powerful image that the prophets used it to describe what they called the the banquet at the end of time. What we now call sometimes the eschatological banquet, the end time banquet. Isaiah 25, for example, reflects that someday God would have a, a big banquet and would host where human beings would be accepted before God. This was so important to the Jewish people that most of their lives revolved around festivals. Big banquets that would be held for days where normal work was stopped and they would party. Throughout the year there were these festivals that often brought people to Jerusalem. The Passover or the unleavened bread celebrating the Exodus. Pentecost or the festival of weeks celebrating the end of the barley harvest. The festival of tabernacles or booths celebrating the final harvest of the year. Later, Purim was added, the celebrating of the victory of Esther and Mordecai, and the lights of Hanukkah, or the, the Hanukkah, or the festival of lights, commemorating Judas Maccabeus's rebellion to cleanse the temple, just about 120 years, 150 years before Jesus came along. And so whether it was something to do with salvation history or the annual calendar, the Jews often found themselves at festivals and at parties. Not always well, though. Sometimes the, the parties, the festivals would be perverse. Malachi talks about people offering sick animals when God required only the best. Isaiah makes reference to people who did not call on the Lord and did not bring the sacrifices. Or even worse... The festivals would be nominally practiced. In other words, you just go along with the motions. Malachi says there's weariness in the sacrifices sometimes. Or Amos talks about merchants who are impatiently waiting for Sabbath to end so they can get on with their business. This becomes really important when the Israelites are carried off into exile. Because there's no festivals in exile. There's no festivals. You can't go to the temple in in Jerusalem. And so the people begin to lose what they're all about. And so when they're brought back, it is Ezra and Nehemiah that build the walls and start to build back up the practice of the festivals. 
When the Greeks and the Romans come to power, they try to force the festivals to stop. Or they try to perverse them by adding sacrifices to Greek or Roman gods. Some of the priests even begin to do some of these things. This is the backdrop, by the way, to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who did not believe this was right, who believed that they should be pure. They called Israel to intensify their holiness and purity. And they began to follow the priestly rules all the time. As the dictionary of Jesus in the New Testament puts it, the Pharisees started to see their table in their homes as surrogates of the Lord's altar in the temple in Jerusalem. And therefore strove to maintain in their households and among their eating companions the state of ritual purity required by the priests in the temple service. They started to see, in other words, their table in their homes as an extension of the altar table. And so they got very picky about how they ate and who they ate with. They tithed their food. Okay, So if they were going to eat chicken and rice, 10% of the chicken and rice would be set off to the side to be offered to the Lord. That's how serious they became about eating in their own homes. And they only ate with people who were also clean. Now, understanding all this brings huge insights into Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is portrayed, quite frankly, as a party animal in the New Testament. Jesus is always hanging out at parties. He's always at banquets. He's always with wild and rebellious people. His first miracle was at a wedding. We we see him at the Passover. We see him... Um, being circumcised as a child. We see him going through all of these things. In fact, Matthew 11, 19 says, he had a reputation as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you ever think about Jesus as a party animal? The people in those days did. Matthew 9, 15, the disciples of John the Baptist ask Jesus why his disciples do not fast. And he says to them, Can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus says, I'm here, so we got a party. I'm the reason for the party, and the party's going to continue. And so as Jesus goes through his life, he was always eating with all these people that he wasn't supposed to eat with. And he's always going to these festivals. And, And ironically... Most of those festivals look forward to the time when the Messiah would come. And so Jesus sits there unheralded at festivals that were pointing to him the whole time. The Bible actually in the New Testament doesn't make a big deal out of these festivals. But it does make a huge deal about the company that Jesus kept. Sinners. These were outcast people that could not go into the temple and be clean. They would never be accepted at the home of a Pharisee. The tax collectors, they worked for the occupying army collecting taxes and charging extra for themselves. They were the ones that were supporting the Romans that were ruling the land. And Jesus is eating with those people all the time. Hanging out with them even feeds, hosts a banquet for 4,000 and 5,000 people at once with all these strange people. Jesus used banquets in a number of his parables. Listen to this from Luke 14. Now he told a parable of those who were invited 
to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So he's at a party and he sees how people are trying to sit closer to look good. And he says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. When you, but when you get invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your, home, when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus again and again and again tries to flip this on its head. Say the last will be first, the first will be last. He tells another parable in Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everyone is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the, to the wedding feast as many as you can. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And Jesus is not about inviting the big, important, got it all together people. He's like, no, those people tend to reject my grace. Bring me the lowly ones, the dark ones, the checkered pasts. Bring me the outcasts. Go scrounge them up. And Jesus tells another parable in Luke 15, this parable of the prodigal son which we focus so much on the prodigal son, we miss the image of that elder brother who, what does he do? Refuses to go into the party for his brother. He rejects the father's love because the father's love is extended to those he thinks do not deserve them. Jesus practices a radically open table in his ministry. His life was a party that all could be invited to. He was redefining and rebelling against social stratification in his day. The last will be first and the first will be last, he said. And then at the end of his life, right before his death, he sat down at a festival, the Passover. A banquet to be held with the family and only the best of friends. And he shares a table with those disciples, those disciples that will reject him in the next 24 hours. Those disciples who come from all kinds of backgrounds, most of them fishermen or tax collectors, people that, that the Pharisees wouldn't have had anything to do with. And even Judas Iscariot is there, who has already put in place the plot to rebel against him, to betray him. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.8 tells the Corinthians to celebrate communion. He calls it the festival. Come celebrate the festival. 
And right there at the end of Jesus' words, we, we, we quote them all the time when we do communion. You know, this is my body broken for you. This is, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. But Jesus at the end of that says, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, at the Lord's Supper with His disciples, says, I'm not going to drink wine anymore until we all get to drink it again together. He looks forward to the banquet that the prophets talked about, where God would invite everybody, and we would be welcomed by God once again, close to God once again. In the book of Revelation 19, 9, the angel says to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. See, the end of the Bible is one big banquet hosted by Jesus. And it fills all these pictures, invites all kinds of outcasts, It is a victory banquet showing God's victory over sin and death. It is a wedding banquet with Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride. It is a royal banquet, God getting the honor He deserves. This never-ending festival. And as we celebrate communion today, we often call it the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Banquet. We are looking forward to that banquet We look forward and it foreshadows and it is a reflection of that banquet. And I've done something different today. If you notice, I've covered the table in a white cloth. Church used to do this a lot. I don't know about this church, but many churches used to do this. It has not been the tradition as much. But the tradition is that the white cloth that covers the table is actually a pall. Like you would put on a casket at the end of someone's life. And so we remember when we go to this table, not only the body of Jesus covered in a cloth, the the death that He goes through to give us the sacrament, the death that we go through before we get to go to that banquet. But we are also reminded of the supper that comes at the end where the cloth is opened up and revealed and we are accepted at that never-ending banquet. So today, have you taken your seat at the banquet? Have you been invited to God's table? And whatever you've done in your past, whatever you feel about who you are, God knows that. He doesn't ignore that. He doesn't not know that. He knows exactly who you are. The you that nobody else knows about. And He still invites you to the table. Have you sat down at the table? Have you accepted that reality of being accepted by Christ as your own? Are you coming with joy? Or are you like those Old Testament Jews just going through the motion of the festival? This is a feast. This is a banquet. This is a special time where we remember whose we are and who we are. We should come with joy. And my last question for you is, Who do you need to invite to your table? Is there somebody that you know that is an outcast, that's not welcome many other places, but that you could break bread with, that you could have at your personal table sometime? The the act of inviting people over for dinner is now a lost art. And I'm telling you, sharing the table means more now than it did 20 years ago, because it's just not done anymore. 
Who is there in your life that you could invite to the table? Let us pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds for the sacrament of communion, I do pray that you would reveal yourself to us, speak to us, challenge us to be your own, and Lord, that if there is someone at our, in our lives that needs invited to our table and to yours, give us the boldness, give us the words to invite. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.